And all I hear, all I hear is more than wasn't more than thirty seconds. Like, oh wow! I'm like, <laughs> oh gosh! But right in the middle of all those ewes and lambs, there's those two rams yeah. laying there together. Yeah, that so, only took like when you see a ram like that, it's like a split second you just know immediately you're like oh that's dead that's a killer yeah ram right instantly there. instantly from a mile and a half away yeah all right everyone welcome to uh tundra talk i'm your host tyler freel and this is my foray into into the podcasting world um a little bit of background on myself i've been writing for outdoor life magazine for six or seven years now uh, doing a lot of digital stuff. I run the pa- the Facebook page called Points North, which is kind of all my content. And recently, I don't know, over the past, well, I learned what a podcast was about a year ago and started listening to some and recently been listening to more and more. And there are a lot of hunting outdoor related podcasts out there, but I noticed kind of a, just kind of a hole as far as Alaska based content goes or content from a, an Alaskan perspective. And, uh, going to try to jump in there and, and fill not, maybe not fill that hole, but at least provide some content from, uh, myself and other guys who live in hunt in Alaska. Um, I'm not going to try, going to try not to box myself in too much. I mean, we'll be talking about hunting, fishing, trapping, basically anything fun that could be done in Alaska and, uh, plan on also addressing more general topics, but, uh. I've lived in Alaska 16 years, and basically, which makes half my life now. I can officially say that. But uh, yeah, so here it goes. Uh, we'll just dive right in there. This is episode one, and uh, I'll not bore, bore you too much further. But with me, I have my good buddy, Frank Schultz. Frank's been a good buddy of mine for a number of years. We met actually guiding down on a Fognac Island, and... Uh, he turned out he he's lived up in Fairbanks for years and uh, and yeah so about the same I've been up here for fifteen years been in Alaska now yep so and it's funny how small of a world it is we had been before we get too much into this we had been on one of our sheep hunts I think it was we got to talking and realized that when I was leaving for my first sheep hunt where I left the truck Frank was there. At that same same exact parking lot, <laughs> and looking at us, wishing, man, I wish I was going sheep hunting. Now. Yeah, I was on a on a fishing trip actually, going for lake trout, successful fishing trip, and yeah, saw you guys packing up and knew exactly what you were up to, what you were getting into, and yeah, I think as a matter of fact, there was sheep right across. On the other side of the pipeline. Yeah, I remember there was. <laughs> all scattered on that hillside. There's a whole bunch of them. Of course, that's bow, bow-only area there, but there seems to be always sheep there, which is why I always thought, oh, this would be a great spot to, yeah. to go sheep hunting, and then here you are, pull up and unload and go walking off into the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and we only discovered this. It was probably, it was at least 10 or 11 years later. We'd already been sheep hunting a year or two by the time we discovered that. It was 10, yeah, like 11 years later that we were talking <laughs> randomly, and you're like, oh, yeah, my first sheep hunt, I went to here, and I was like, are you kidding me? And you started telling me about your truck, and I was like, no, I've actually like went back and looked at my pictures. Yeah. To try and find pictures of like maybe a background shot with like you or your truck or something <laughs> sitting there gearing up, getting ready to go, but I didn't, I couldn't find any. 
Um, oh man. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, think about how green I was back, back in those days. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even, uh, yeah. I mean, I thought about sheep hunting, but at that point in time, didn't really had been up here for a few years and didn't have anybody that I would really, you know, I didn't really have anyone that I had hunted with enough at that point in time up here that I would say, Hey, let's, you know, go on a sheep hunt. It seems like you kind of got to know somebody a little, you know, you don't just, I personally, anyhow, wouldn't just go walking off out into the middle of nowhere with somebody to go generally, sheep hunting. Generally not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, just pick a random person and go, I mean, people do it. Don't get me wrong. It happens all the time. But for me personally, I don't think I would. Yeah. And anyway, um, Frank, why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, where you're from. One of the one of the things I've observed up here being a transplant myself is uh, there's a lot of people up here that weren't born up here. And there's plenty that were, but it seems like I mean, everyone's got a different story. And uh, But, man, so many people I know, you know, for one reason or another made it up here. And I think you were one that came on a vacation and never left. And that's I, I did. I actually well, I guess to start with I, I grew up in northern Vermont. Um the rule in the house was we could go with dad when we were eight and we could go by ourselves when we were nine. Hunting whitetail. Hunting whitetail, yeah. And um Geez, I guess I was 10 or 11 when I shot my first whitetail on my own. Um, of course, my dad had a lot to do with getting me all set up yeah. and everything, but he'd turn us, turn me and my brother right loose, and you know you know where the tree stand is. There's flagging tape to get you out there in the dark, and you go head right out there and climb up there and sit there until you, until you don't want to anymore. So hunting's always been been big with with me growing up it was always really looked forward to especially whitetail season in northern vermont which the deer population is very very low it's a not an easy place to hunt i've always told people that if you can harvest the whitetail in the um northeastern vermont right up by the canadian border you can pretty much hunt and get animals anywhere anywhere that i've been anyhow so far yeah and you seem to have done all right for yourself <laughs> yes yeah, seems to be working out yeah. um so yeah i came up here i guess for the first time i came up to alaska i was <clears throat> 19 or 20 years old and a couple of friends of mine were coming up here and asked me if i wanted to come and i came up for 10 days had a great time and i kind of knew then said i, I a certain point in time i'd be back right then wasn't the exact per perfect time to, for me to come up here move up here and stay um so geez i guess i was 24 25 something like that and i had another buddy had moved up here his brother was a mechanic and they both were living up here in fairbanks friends of mine that i went to high school with and i was looking for a change from where i was at and what i was doing and um they said, "Why don't you, why don't you come on up here and just hang out for a couple of weeks and check it out? I guarantee you'll love it." I ended up eating the the the, ha the other half of the plane ticket. That was <laughs> so I came up for I think the plane ticket was for three and a half weeks that I was going to be up here, and I ended up with a job after like two and a half weeks, and guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because that's such a common story. Like, a, 
Yeah. I couldn't name them, but there's a lot of, you there, hear that all the time. All the time, yeah. I came up for two weeks and never left. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, once you get out, you know, and the way I look at it too is a lot, I know a lot of people here around Fairbanks that have never been to Kodiak, have never been to, you know, anywhere in the Southeast, have never been up to, you know, Prudo to yeah. Dead Horse. Never been any further away than, you know, 40 miles up the highway to go pick berries for some reason. Which is not very far up here. (laughs) No, exactly. So, I know a lot of people that have lived here their entire life that are like, what you've seen more in the 15 years that you've been here than I'll probably ever see in my entire life. Yeah, and I I mean, from, I don't know, my perspective, moving, I I grew up in Colorado, um, which is a great place. I'll never, ever move back. But uh, it was a good place to grow up, kind of in rural Colorado. And there were a lot of things different. Probably the biggest difference when I when I moved up here to Fairbanks, it seemed like there was people everywhere just because the rural area I grew up in, you didn't have to deal with that. But uh, I don't know. You're kind of just sitting on the edge of Alaska in any of these major towns, Um it doesn't take very far and you're out in the sticks, but, uh, the big, I mean, the biggest thing is it's overwhelming how big this state is and how much country there is. I mean, you spent, and I've spent a fair amount of time, you spent years working down in Kodiak and Fognac and big rainforest type stuff and up to, you know, the country we have up here and, then you go up to the North Slope, or yeah, I mean, it's, it's very just, de- very. So you go from rainforest to tundra with not a stick on it. Yeah, you know, if you really want to just cut a line and start going, start moving, you can cross almost every you know every section of forest to no forest at all. Yeah, and I mean, just not even covering the whole state. What from Anchorage to Prudhoe Bay, it's the better part of a thousand miles. I mean, it's 500 miles from Fairbanks. It's got to be really close to that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and once you get north of the Yukon, you could go east or west in any, you know, east or west from that road, and you're not going to hit another road till you either hit the ocean or somewhere over in Canada. You'd have to go a long ways going into Canada, too. Yeah. You'd You'd have to cross the border and actually get into Canada before, I don't know what that road is that splits off of the, um, Alcan. But it, you can go, I don't even know if that road is a winter road or not, which I'd assume it probably isn't. But there is a road that you can get all the way up to the Beaufort Sea yeah. in Canada, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what? Uh, how'd you get into guiding up here? Um, I, I had a friend that I met here in Fairbanks that asked me, he went to some job fair and met somebody from the Department of Fish and Game. And they had field tech jobs where we'll send you out to a salmon camp for two or three months in the summer and you count salmon up. And we ended up, I ended up working. So I ended up being like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get jobs and go down and we'll be able to check out Kodiak. Well, I ended up on a fog knack. They didn't even put me on Kodiak to start with. <laughs> so I was like, what? Well, I was thinking Kodiak this whole time. And that's, I mean, it's a lot, you know, very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. Except south end of Kodiak doesn't have trees. Yeah. Fognac is fully forested, the whole island. Um, so I ended up at a fish camp in Little Waterfall Bay, in, uh, which is a small bay in Paranosa Bay. And I met the Randalls that summer. I was, we had to put a barrier net up 
and it was a terminal salmon harvest where an um, aquaculture association pays for salmon smolt to be put into a lake. Then they let them, they swim out at a, you know, once they're smolt and they're, they're in the like two or three inch range. And they spend their three or three to five years in the ocean. And then when they come back, we put a full barrier net up across the river and you don't allow any of the salmon back up to spawn. Because there's big waterfalls where they just get stuck at the base of the waterfalls and they can't get up. And I will interject there that one of those waterfalls you do not want to do a cannonball off of. Yeah. It's painful. <laughs> Are you talking about the one above the cabin? Yeah. Yeah, I've jumped off that a few times. Oh, well, I've jumped. I I did try to. Do, I did a cannonball one time, and about halfway down, I'm like, "This is this is a mistake. not a good idea." <laughs> luckily, luckily, it didn't knock the wind. You know. I was able to get out, get out, didn't drown, but yeah. man, that hurt. So yeah, so the next summer, I, I that summer I met the Randalls that have a Fognac Wilderness Lodge in Seal Bay, which isn't too far away, and they were super nice. They, you know, if you here's our what we're, radio station we're always on, and if you ever have any problems, just let us know. We're really close, and they knew that I was green. That you know, fishing game basically gave me and my buddy a boat. Let us rip it from Kodiak all the way up to the north end of a Fognac, ripping around in boats, taking samples from the commercial fishermen from the salmon that they caught, and maintaining this barrier net. And the next summer I came back, I ended up on Kodiak, but I kept in touch with uh, the Randalls. And when it came to be that third summer, I was thinking, oh, I'll go back and work for a fishing game. And they got in touch with me and said, why don't you come? You know, you've got a base base of being a carpenter for pretty much your entire adult life we need somebody that you know can help us build some stuff why don't you instead of working for fishing game come out to the lodge and work for us and so i went out there as a as a uh, carpenter basically um them knowing that i like to hunt and it just progressed from there i think that was 2000 and I guess I went out in the fall of 2006 just to check the lodge out and deer hunt yeah. for t- 10 days. And, geez, even on that first trip, I went out for a 10 days hunt, and I didn't realize that I would get off of the plane, shoot my rifle, make sure it was dialed in, go across the bay, and fill all my tags within... I don't know, 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just started, there were so many deer. I wasn't used to like just a whole beach full of deer and I just kind of went a little hog wild. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just started gunning them down and yeah, I, so I'm like, geez, what do we do? I just got nine more days. So we ended up, you know, fishing, doing that kind of stuff, but we ended up start doing firewood and tinkering yeah. around on some projects they had going there and they were like, yeah, for sure. You should come back out. So that next spring I... Ended up getting my guide's license right away, my assistant guide's license right away, and getting right after it that spring, helping them with bear hunts. Yeah, that's awesome, because you were there for several years before I ever met you. The first time I went down there was uh, right after Christmas 2009, so you had already gone. Yeah, and uh, that was when I was first building my house, and I was leaving <laughs> yeah. a little bit early those years to come back up to Fairbanks to try and get stuff done outside before it was too winter-like and you couldn't do anything. Yeah, and then I was going down there a couple, you know, once or twice a year, but it was a while before. I can't remember when exactly we first met, but they're always, oh, you got to meet Frank. He lives up in Fairbanks. and uh, Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> they, kept, they kept saying the same thing. I'd come back and they'd be like, oh, we had Tyler and his dad Britt down here again. And 
I was like, God, I never run into these people in Fairbanks. It's funny. You can know, you know, bunches of people in Fairbanks and go months without ever running into anyone that you know around yeah. town ever. Yeah. It, a little side note. When I moved up here, I was thinking I had never, the first trip that I came to Alaska, I never made it to Fairbanks. And when I came back, knowing that I was moving to Fairbanks, I was thinking, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a city. But I'm always thinking Anchorage is the city in Alaska, that Fairbanks is kind of going to be a one-horse town. Yeah. Well, I got up here and I was blown away. This is by, I mean, it's nothing in the scheme, in the scheme of things, but yeah. this is by far the biggest city that I've ever lived in in my entire life. And granted, I live, you know, 20 miles out of town. You live up, far. With, the, up with the hill critters. <laughs> up with the hill critters, exactly. <laughs> fully, fully living off the grid, out of town kind of thing, or my shooting range is off my back porch. And, but that's all it takes is being, you know, 15, 20 miles out of town and, yeah, so Fairbanks that, is a big city, was the side note. Well, that's one thing that, to that me. shocked me, you know, and I never even haven't lived in what you could call a city. Um, town itself, like, it's not very big. You're only 10, 15 minutes from anywhere in town. Yeah. But the amount of people that live outside of Fairbanks, and it's all, you know, I wasn't used to growing up in, like, heavily wooded areas, you know. There's a lot of people around, and it. I don't know. I get crotchety about it sometimes. If I got to wait more than thir- more than fifteen seconds at a stop sign or right. something, then there's too much traffic, and it's it's growing and getting bigger. And you know, we can. I but think it's still it's, better I think that than the a lot borough of- right now is like just the last I heard anyway. I think it's just about ninety thousand, maybe a little over ninety thousand people in the whole. Fairbanks North Star Borough, yeah, which is an like Army Base and an Air Force, right, Base. right? Exactly, and the Fairbanks North Star Borough is like I don't know how you would compare it. It's like probably like the size of Rhode Island, just the borough, yeah. this one particular borough. Yeah. So to have ninety thousand people in an area that big, really, when you start thinking about it, is nothing. Yeah, and it's all based on what you're what you're used to, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I had a thought, and I. I'm sure I'll pick it back up. Uh, you'll have to get used to this for me. Yeah. <laughs> Between my speech impediments and and uh, lose, losing track. But uh, I don't know. What, if you were to say, like, what's what are some of the big differences that you've noticed hunting up here? I mean, I know you spent a lot of time, well, and a, a fog knack included. But, uh, you know, in recent years, you've really you know, since you've kind of dialed back the guide and um, been able to get out and do a lot more stuff yourself and cover a lot more country, what are some of the big, uh, we can talk about what some of the big differences are between hunting up here and anywhere you've been down in the States? Wow. Just having, you know, having space to yourself where you're not trying to stomp over somebody else or they're trying to stomp over you. And, you know, I, you know, growing up in New England, there's a lot of people, um, my brother lives back there. My folks still live back there. And, you know, my dad every year is, you know, I'll get some story about, oh, everything was lining up on this deer. And then here comes some guy stomping through the woods, scares everything off. And so number one, right off the bat, that's the big thing yeah. is just having space that you can actually go out and hunt and not run into a bunch of other people. And then again, you need to get, 
you can't find that right around town here, yeah. right off the road system. You need to get out and get away. You need to four-wheeler, boat, fly, you know, any any number one of those things. Um, but, yeah, the, the people is number one right away. Yeah, and I've noticed that. I mean, anywhere around town or very easily accessed stuff, you know, it's it's crawling with people during hunting season. One big thing for me I noticed was that there's the densities of game are completely different than where I grew up or anywhere else I've seen down in, down in the lower 48. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up doing a lot of coyote and uh, coyote calling primarily. Mm-hmm. Man, there's just coyotes everywhere down there and roads you can get everywhere. You know, you can go call five, ten places in the morning. And there's people that do it up here and some with a reasonable degree of success, but it's kind of... I don't know, my experience is kind of pissing in the wind up here. I'd rather be trapping. <laughs> you know, I mean, every everywhere that's easily accessed gets called. Yeah. And just the game densities, whether it's predators or moose or anything, it's kind of a common misconception. Someone thinks, all right, as soon as you step off the plane in old oh, Fairbanks, yeah. quote, unquote, international Watch airport. going to get stomped that, by a moose. <laughs> that, that there's going to be moose behind every tree, and it's just not like that. There's... There's a lot of, you know, quote-unquote dead country that just doesn't have yeah. much in it. Well, there's a lot of country that changes depending on the time of year, too, because yeah. I can specifically state that my property, I have 10 acres, and then it's all butted to state land. <clears throat> all fall during moose season, I'm sure that there's a couple of moose that will wander through the area. Don't ever, I never hardly ever see moose during the season. Granted... Yesterday, out of my bedroom window when I woke up, I normally typically roll over to the window and look out. Can see three moose from my bedroom window. One of them is less than thirty yards away from my house. Yeah, I left to go run my trap line, and by the time I had come back two hours later, I had seen like twelve moose. Yeah, they and when they're all in this area that. They're not in the fall during the hunting season. They move areas. Yeah, and that's a big thing. Like, s- stuff, it's just totally different up here. I uh, Last year was the first first time I, well, second time I'd ever been east of the old Mississippi. But uh, <laughs> we had, we I uh, had a outdoor life assignment to go to Michigan. And, uh, and my editor that I was working with there, we're driving around. He's explaining all this to me. Like, see that little patch of trees? Like, there's white-tailed deer that live their entire lives in that patch of trees. Never come out. Yeah. Whereas up here, it's like you see a moose here today. He may be 10 miles away tomorrow. Yeah, oh yeah. Easily. You Easily. Um, I went back to I went back for Christmas. This is five or six years ago. And had a buddy um, who was from... Maryland, who's moved up to Vermont, said, we should go down, we can stay at my my mom's place, and we'll go bow hunting for whitetails in Maryland. So I'm thinking, you know, like Eastern Shore, a lot of duck hunting going on Mm -hmm. there, geese hunting, stuff like that in January. Um, So we get down there, and it happens to be Potomac. And Potomac is right outside of Washington, (laughs) D.C., swarming with people (laughs) everywhere. So he takes us to an area, and I'm thinking to myself, where are we going to deer hunt here? We pull up into the yard, and he's like, oh, this is my buddy's parents' place, and we can park right here, and then there's a little trail. So you walk through somebody's yard by their swimming pool, 
open up a back gate, go down into this little tiny, tiny piece of woods that you can see houses 360 degrees. It's like a little valley with a creek running through it. I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. There is no way <laughs> that there is going to be any deer. Well, there was deer, all right. There was so many deer that I couldn't even, you know, I was like, which way do I, I do I go left? Do I look right? How do I want to set up on these things? But they're smart. Uh, unbelievable. It's like they know immediately whether there's something awry you know and yeah. they'll do their best to hang or you know and i'm not much of a it was bow hunting and i'm by far a bow hunter no way i'm not in, <laughs> really even into it at all but i'm always up for you know going and doing something new and new challenge but for me we were hunting on a saturday i guess it was afternoon and i climbed up into the tree stand and all these people start pulling into this house that's real close to where I'm sitting in my tree stand. Next thing I know, they're inside having a football, some college football game is on, and they got a TV that's so big that I can sit in the tree stand, <laughs> and I'm watching this deer trail, and I'm watching a football game on this TV that's like as big as a, what, half my house, one of the walls in yeah. half my house. <laughs> that to me it was mind blowing to have that many deer in such a heavily populated area. Yeah, it's it's just nuts. And another thing I think's interesting and and this isn't to pick on people like and part of the the idea and reason I want to do this podcast is to get I don't know, just have discussion from the perspective of people who live and hunt up here. It's a totally different world and not only live and hunt up here but who are good at it and reasonably accomplished, you know, everyone's an expert in their own mind, including myself, I guess. But, um, it, it's just funny, you know, you see, and it's easy to make fun of some of the green guys, but people that just don't know any better. Like a few, I've been thinking that story a few years ago when we, we were heading in sheep hunting, riding our four wheelers and had, I don't know, most of a day of riding to get where we start walking. <laughs> Frank knows where I'm going with this. So we, I don't know, we were halfway in or so kind of taking our time and yeah. had pulled over to take a leak, take a little break. And, and here comes this guy putzing, putzing around the hill, you know, down the trail and he stops and, and Southerners don't take offense, but I'm just going to tell, tell it like it was. <laughs> he pulls up, goes, Hey y'all, how you doing? Oh, well, we're, we're doing pretty good. You know, how's it going? Man, there there ain't nothing out here. I got all my I got all my tags. Nothing. You know, and this guy, you know, poor guy was, you know, his four wheeler, rifle on forks on his wheeler, camo boots, camo pants, camo shirt, camo hat, no backpack, and a gas jug. I don't know where he if he even I don't know what he would have done with something if he would have got it. But, yeah. but you know nothing. He, but he There's nothing anywhere out yeah. here. He was Fully convinced. Yeah, not there's, a single animal you know, anywhere. And, and we're kind of just playing off. Oh, you know, okay. He's like, like, no, you don't understand. Like, I've I've been to the end of the trail. There ain't nothing out here. I said, well, we're we're going sheep hunting. So well, I had my eye on the tree line, and I'm just trying, you know, trying to be nice to this guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I've, I've been like, I don't know how many times he said it, three oh, or four times. Oh, I've been, yeah. I like telling like just trying to do us a solid i'm sure 
And it was like he was <laughs> trying to convince us that we needed to turn around and go back. There was yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. I've been to the end of the trail, and I kind of, well, we're, you know, yeah. we're going to, we're, we're walking like, like 20, 20 miles yeah. past the end of the trail. Yeah. <laughs> He'll never forget. He, Man, y'all's hardcore. Yeah. I ain't about that life. <laughs> I ain't about that. So. And what was behind him on the hillside? Yeah, we go around the first <laughs> hillside, there's six sheep sitting up on the hillside right there white dots uh, right on the side of the hill so and that's not intended to make fun of the poor guy but i don't know it's it's just a totally different world up here and well it's it's easy it's easy to walk by drive by overlook animals even white ones you know super simple not you know it just takes uh, not not everybody is an incredible hunter right when they start i guess is a good way to put it and you know. i would also i would also add that and you see a lot on the old you know i make i make a, i make part of my living on facebook you know doing it but uh, any social media is double-edged sword and you see all, all these comments that you just want to make you want to cry <laughs> but um, I, yeah. but just be I would add as a disclaimer, just because someone lives in Alaska or hunts in Alaska does not necessarily mean that they get after it or really know what they're talking about, if you would agree. 10% of a hun- hunters kill 100% of the game, something like whatever, however yeah, that goes. Yeah, 10% kill 90%. Yeah, whatever, whatever well, the deal yeah, is. A, a different year in a different spot, you know, we were coming out from a sheep hunt where we'd packed 20 25 miles got back to our four-wheelers and headed out and the whole ride out and it's this is like labor day weekend didn't see a soul the entire ride out you know right in probably the most heavily hunted weekend of moose season yeah in a prime moose area yeah and get back to the road you know we didn't see a soul the whole way out get back to the road and there's four wheelers and side by sides just screaming every people looking for something they're not going to find yeah right on the road nobody even there wasn't a single person anywhere on that trail but as soon as we did hit that road boy back and forth back and forth back and forth yeah <laughs> somebody'll get you know i'm sure every year somebody gets a moose right yeah. there just like that and that you know in that spot Driving that road back and forth and back and forth yeah. and back and forth. But that's real. I mean, really, what separates the the people who are successful consistently is just putting in that extra effort. And I've had talks with guys, you know, because for you know whether it's four wheelers or river boats or airplanes. I mean, the stuff. I'm not going to say it's necessary, but it's a big tool for uh, really getting Success. out. And, for success yeah. in Alaska. Um, yeah. And I've had talks with guys, you know, one guy helped out moose hunting last year, um, lives in Utah and, and kind of changed his perspective on four wheelers a little bit. Cause down there, you know, you know, they're used to, you know, talked about kind of sleeping with a herd of elk and getting ready to hunt them the opening morning. And then as soon as you can hear all the four wheelers fire up at the bottom of the mountain, they they leave and there are people you know there's plenty of folks up here that think hunting is you just ride around and on your four-wheeler and look but i don't know the biggest thing is using these things as tools to get you to a jumping off point yeah oh yeah oh it makes plenty of sense yeah for sure 
that's you, you definitely you know people a lot of people even up here are like oh you have an airplane you're so lucky you must shoot sheep every year and it's like even though you have an airplane doesn't mean that you're not gonna hike you <laughs> yeah. know i you still have to fly into an area and the 99 of the areas that you can even fly into sheep are not right there where you land your plane yeah just not Ra- happening very rare very rarely yeah you know i mean <clears throat> there's in i don't know and there's I mean, always the exceptions stuff to gets that shot where, from roadways all the time it just happened last week i don't know if you looked in the paper that guy got his truck taken and his oh. rifle taken he shot a wolf down there in healy and he went out and got it and he was dragging it back to his pickup truck and a trooper happened to drive by and they're like so uh how come the case shell case is laying in the road and yeah, they were just like you're bumming. He shot. He shot right out of his pickup truck. Shot yep. a wolf. <clears throat> yeah, I did see that. So there's there's plenty of plenty yeah. of stupidity or yeah whatever goes. You're not going to get away from it coming up here, but no. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just totally a different world up here and until you really see it and experience it it's hard to explain and i don't know a lot of the stuff up here maybe saying it's i think saying it's on a different level than a lot of the stuff in the states is accurate but at the same time not to say there's not harder stuff than some of the not everything up here isn't just this unattainable hardcore stuff but uh my brother would ask me how come you don't tell any stories about alaska whenever you're back here you don't hardly ever even talk about it i'm like it's too hard to explain it's like i could tell you stories all day long and tell you how this is and how that is and what it looks like but until you come up here and you actually see and have a look around and you're like wow he came up here he wasn't here for a couple of days and he's like man now I can see why you don't hardly talk about it. He's like, you can't explain this. This is amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and you can say miles and whatnot. It reminds me of her. Man, every year, there for a few years, we're flying up into the brooks to hunt sheep. And every time we're flying in, I'm like, man, these mountains just get bigger and bigger every year. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to suck. Oh, <laughs> uh, but man, the minute your boots are down and you're marching, I... I just start smiling and I can't stop. Yep. Until yeah, I'm like it's... just about to leave and then that smile turns into a frown because I know <laughs> I know that it's over until next year. I got to start ticking the days off the calendar. Well, every year it's just oh, you know we're up there and and we we've been sheep hunting together for the past few years and and sheep hunting up here definitely is on a different level than a lot of stuff most most people ever do and uh, for sure every year it's it's kind of going into it it's i don't know what you want to call it a mind game where you're there's an element of stress and angst about you know where are you going to be able to find find that ram you want to shoot or whatnot and uh the last few days before the season or before we actually take off I don't sleep very much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say that it's like being a little kid at Christmas when you just can't even fall asleep because you're so excited. And I that is it. But on the, in the same in the same sense of being excited, it's nerve-wracking, you know? You know that you're like I'm preparing for like you're going to suffer 14 to 16 <laughs> days 
being in, you know, out there. And you are, you know, it's not. And it's a funny thing because it's, you know, we look back on it nostalgic and all, you know, that was great. And it is great. Like it's, it's, you get to experience some phenomenal things and places that hardly anyone else does, but it's, can be rough. I mean, you just know, like you're wondering, all right, man, how, how bad is this going to suck? You know, physically and mentally, like it, it's pretty taxing, but then, you know, like you shot your Ram opening day this year and then it's like, man, I got to go back to work now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was like one of my first comments was like, eh, first day and it's over. And then I'm thinking, wow, we're all, we're all right. We still got to get Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler or Ram up oh, next morning, another one down. It's like, <laughs> I really do have to leave now. Man, although, although I will say last year was a welcome relief. Cause that's how that's how sheep hunting's supposed to work, <laughs> I, right? I guess you know you take that. you know you pack, take two and a half days of of misery packing into an area, and then boom, boom, get your sheep, and then go out, and that's that's how you would like it to work. But a lot of times that that's not how the previous couple of years had gone. No, that's for sure. And you know, there's yeah, it's not. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You wanna, you wanna be out there and enjoying yourself and everything, but in the same sense, like you said, it's like this is how it's supposed to work. Yeah, which it's rarely going to. I can, yeah. you know, I, I'm not gonna hold my breath for it being some years before I actually just we whack two rams right in the first couple of days. But I think honestly, maybe you miss a little bit by getting sheep the first couple of days. You know, you might. That's not to say that I'm not going to do it. No, 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 exactly. Don't get don't get me wrong. If I get get a good opportunity at a good ram on day one, it's going down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like probably in... You know, a couple of years ago, had we shot a ram on the first day, would we have seen that group of five rams fighting for an hour and, you yeah. know, be able to see all that cool stuff? And Or or even if, if we had shot the... If I'd shot the lead, the lead, lead ram, ram out of that, out of that group, that. Yeah. would we have gone all the way over to where we found yours? Yeah, no, exactly. Or found the one... Well, we had already seen him from a few miles away, right, but... And we had seen the one that you got this year, too. Yeah, so this, you know, <clears throat> to fill you in... Um, two years ago, this hunt, we were out 14 days and Frank killed a beautiful sheep that day, day six, I think. Was it? Yeah. I think it was day six. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and I passed one and we do this, have been doing this rule where, you know, if you spot it, you get first dibs and, uh, we'll just say Frank spotted this one after, and to be fair, after giving me. Half full an, half an hour, half an hour looking over scope. all these rams <laughs> or looking at these sheep. There's yeah, a bunch there's of only, you, a bunch there's of, only a couple. There's like, what was there, six rams in that group, something like that. Yeah, but then I, you know, I kind of glassed over the lambs and ewes and, and didn't look very hard and was looking, trying to judge these two rams that well, were down we below had us. Different two that were on the other side. Yeah. yeah. And uh, give Frank the scope and, and well, I hear, all I hear is more than. Wasn't more than thirty seconds. I'm like, oh wow! I'm like, oh <laughs> gosh! But <laughs> right in the middle of all those using lambs, there's those two rams yeah. laying there together. Yeah, that so, only took like when you see a ram like that, it's like a split second. You just know immediately. You're like, oh, that's dead. That's a killer yeah, ram right instantly there. Instantly from a mile and a half away. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, 
I may may or may not still harbor some ill feelings about that one. <laughs> I had to pry the rifle out of his yeah, hands. Yeah, it was some soul searching went on, but not like it, it worked out the way it was supposed to. But where I was going with that, this other ram that Frank was trying to kill him the day before, actually, and we spent all night kind of playing peekaboo with this sheep. And, uh, well, with all of his just buddies, a, when, his, once he was posted up on those rocks, it was like he just up and disappeared. Yeah. He never we, was seen again. Yeah, we ended up getting less, we, we were 60 yards from that one. We were 30 yards away from one of them at one point. In time. That's right, because he came walking right underneath. in front of us, yeah. And we saw every other ram but the one we wanted. Yeah. But there was five of them, I think. And we saw all the other four, yeah. which none of them were, were legal. It's too bad that one just had one more year on him. Yeah. He would have been in luck for everything because I would have aced that thing. Yeah. That wide one. <laughs> that that wide, ugly one that you liked for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the lead ram in this group was a big, heavy, you know, well, broomed off real heavy, um, just a nice looking mature sheep. And we didn't get him that trip. You know, we tried that night, then got Frank's the next day and tried three more days to get that sheep. And when I thought we were going to kick, like, all right, we're close. We're going to pop over here and kill him. He was gone and they were walking up the next ridge over. Yeah, just they left. Were, had, uh, yeah, they just left. They were just walking away. And they At, had left once we started, once we had decided, okay, we're going. We're going to be aggressive. They started leaving right then because the distance that they covered at their walk, they were a long ways away by the time we got to where we were like, oh, there they are, way over there, gone. Yeah. After staying on that same spine for five days? Five, yeah. Five or six days. Yeah, because we saw them when they were walking down onto that, when they were moving from some other country down onto that a few days before. Yeah. Just kind of kept an eye on them, but... Yeah, it's uh, sheep hunting, especially is a total different, totally different level. Uh, that was one of going back like full circle all the way back to the beginning of ending up in Alaska. I, my dad had a hunting magazine when I was a kid. I don't even know what what magazine it was, but it had a picture. One one of the month's issues had a picture of a doll sheep ram standing on the rock somewhere on the cover and god even ever since i was just a little kid i thought to myself one day yeah (laughs) one day i'm gonna get one of them (laughs) yeah well i remember i think it was actually the the stint where we were both down there that i met you happened to be i needed needed someone to go with the next year and that's when you had asked me yeah yeah and and you'd mentioned that you'd wanted to go sheep hunting and i think i think we were all sitting around the stove or something yeah there at the lodge and uh yeah well what do you think about going this year and yeah i'm game and then because we actually had some time the next day to go hunting ourselves and yeah <laughs> and i'm like i'm hunting with frank <laughs> yeah exactly i was like this guy's feeling me out well, check this out <laughs> yeah then yeah oh man yeah got that deer I was like, you're like, what are you waiting for? I was like, I'm waiting for another one so we can both shoot them at the same time. <laughs> of course, nothing ever, else, nothing else showed up, but yeah, I thought that was funny. I'm going with Frank. I thought, man, this guy's totally just feeling me out to make sure that he wants to go sheep hunting with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, 
it's an important thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't just know. Like we were talking about earlier, is how I was like, I wouldn't just randomly, you know, go out sheep hunting with somebody that I didn't know. No, yeah. No way. Yeah. It's because uh, it's a big deal. I mean, I. It's a 50 50 thing. You got to be, you both need to be on the same page all the time. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And there's a lot of decisions that need to be made unanimously that, you know, you're both a part of and that you discuss things before. You can't just be like, no, this is how it's happening or whatever, yeah. you know? Nothing's like, this is how it's going to be. It's always like, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? How should we do this? And it's like, because two minds are always better than one. Yeah, and that not, you know, not only just to make it to make it effective, but to be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've heard so many stories from uh I don't know, a good percentage of the uh unsuccessful sheep hunt stories I've heard were blamed on the hunting <laughs> the unproven hunting partner. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, certain a certain cut of those is going to be going to be just an excuse, but <laughs> Yeah, it definitely makes a big, makes a huge difference in, you know, selecting your hunting partner. Yeah. Especially on a hunt like that, you know, where you're, you're a long ways from help or, I mean, you're. No, you're putting your, you're, you're putting your life basically in the other guy's hands. You know, you're both trusting each other 150%. And I mean, I know of, of a few instances where one guy doing something stupid and getting in trouble, you know, whether that's due to weather, you know, getting their stuff soaked or, yeah. you know, one guy doing something stupid puts both of you in a, in a sketchy situation or at the very, very least kind of curtailing the hunt. Right, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we had, you know, we kind of agreed there and then went on your first sheep hunt up in the brooks and oh, that, that following year and. After all the the pre, kind of got to tell this other story to the previous year was probably one of my most memorable sheep hunts. Went up in the brooks, the same area, and we had always basically got our rams within a week, so we had extra food. And I'm like, well, we'll take seven days of food and packed in, and we ended up having to stretch that seven days of food to fourteen days. We had, uh, that was the snowiest, coldest, wettest sheep hunt I've ever been on. In August, for 14 days, we saw the sun one day, and I don't know how many rams we just slipped away from us in the fog. You know, you'd you'd spot a good one and then get to where you think you'd be able to shoot, and he was gone. And uh, I killed my ram on the night of the 12th day, which was the last evening we'd still be able to hunt and get back to the airstrip in time to get picked up. And it was, mine was 26 miles from the airstrip. So keeping all this in mind, I'm like preparing Frank. I'm like, this is going to, you better be prepared. (laughs) I should have been bringing his (laughs) deet. Deet, yeah. Yeah, so we go up there after all this talk. And it was, it was kind of raining that, and socked in that first day we were walking in. First day, about half, three quarters of the day we hiked in the rain. After that, it's 80 degrees or... Should have thrown your EpiPen in there for the the horn the yellow jacket nest. Oh yeah, I stumbled into a. Well, I don't even know what I was doing. I was going to make sure that my cape was still sunk in the creek, that none of it was flopped up out of the water, to make sure it was buried in rocks. And I came back and I just remember we're walking through that little Run! tiny patch of, of midget alders and and 
I won't say the whole thing, but <laughs> since the, something about bees and run, so you don't. When someone says that, you don't you don't question it. You just run. The nest was huge. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't see it. I can't. It was like at eye height for me, yeah. and I reached up. There was a limb sticking out across where I was walking, and I just reached up to grab the limb to break it off from in front of me. And boy, that was a bad mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, it was like hooked to the nest. At the least limb you that just I got, broke. At least you just got one sting. Oh, I lit out. I ran. Yeah, I was headed. I knew <laughs> that it was bad. <clears throat> but yeah, between that and the the gnats and. The no seams, you know, it was. God, it's. It was a hot tree. It was hot weather. So horrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the you bugs. Should, yeah, don't. You should not even worry about doing it yourself because it it just sucks. <laughs> but yeah, we got we got your ram opening day, and then it was yeah. my ram the next day, which was the ram that we thought was your ram when we killed f- him. Yeah, exactly. Because the night before season, you had spotted and we're looking at him. What did we figure? I don't remember now. They were. Th- 600 yards apart, the two rams on either side of that valley. Yeah. I think we scored less. We ranged yeah. from where yours had died to where mine, you know, where yeah. my, the pile of bones from the day before was. Yeah, we had seen, uh, Frank had spotted this ram and it was so hot. All the, all the rams, they just weren't where they normally are. They're up in the rim rocks. And, uh, I'm assuming to get out of the bugs, but, uh, looked at this, at this ram the whole evening of the ninth and, you know, we knew he wasn't full curl, but he was so doggone heavy. And there was a couple seven eighths curls he was with that he just dwarfed body size, horns, everything. So, and I'd seen some of those genetics in there that, you know, one of them my buddy killed ended up being a huge ram, but uh, that just looked like a normal sheep. Anyway, so the next we are going to do a midnight stock, and they got into just some super nasty stuff, and it was socked in. It so it got foggy. So we just, uh, we'll wait. And uh, our plan was to hike this circuit up this drainage across the top and into, and down another one. But get up in the morning, and I think we were just getting ready to go and spotted yours mm-hmm. and looked at him and was like, man, I think that's the same sheep. And, you know, pretty much decided he was. You know, we couldn't find any of the other ones. We couldn't find any of those other ones. I was, he was all by himself. And so we just kind of assumed he was and got out of sight and climbed up there and were you know, 400 yards or 450, something like that across the canyon from him and spent two hours looking at him because anything that's not full curl um, has to be eight years old and didn't have anything to compare him to. And so spent a couple of hours just making sure he was going to be at least eight and he was. So he stands up and Frank shoots him. That was, I'm trying to think, 390 yards, I think. Yeah. up, Up to that point in time in my hunting career the longest shot i'd ever made was maybe a hundred yards shooting an elk maybe or a deer or something like that but i don't think i'd ever maybe 110 yards or something like that i'd shot yeah so that hunt um you know we knocked franks down that day and then that i think it was that evening because we we were you know, packed yours all the way back to our little spike camp, and on the way out we saw look up. And I'm like, well, I guess we didn't kill the ram we thought we killed. Yeah, that's right. He was right back at that mineral that where that water or whatever that was is oozing out of the rocks. Yeah. He's right back where we were watching him that first night. Yep, yeah, and uh, came back up the next day and ended up ended up killing him. And yeah, we never got to make our circuit around through that up to the divide and then back down the other side yeah. like we planned. 
Yeah, and getting back in that um, spike spike camp where we had spike camp there's you know a couple guys landed on it landed their cubs on a gravel bar and uh you know they were cool as we walked all the way up there and just kind of said hey this is our plan and they were cool they're like i don't know how they said like well you guys walked here so yeah exactly (laughs) no but that was legit because when we came back with your sheep they're like yeah we're everybody's all sheeped out we're all done everybody that was up there had got them and they were like what are you guys doing we're like well we're gonna pack our stuff up we're gonna start walking it's gonna take us like two days to get out of here back down to this other strip where we're gonna get picked up and one guy one of the guys was like yeah right get your stuff down here and start stuffing (laughs) it in my plane i'll have you down there in two minutes So and, that was pretty. That was pretty welcoming to yeah. be like hop in somebody's plane and have him rip us right down there. A couple of trips he made and had us right down there, and that was awesome. Yeah, awesome and deal. I, uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I told Frank at the time I was like, I know you know this is cool, <laughs> but you have no idea like, yet how, how cool. cool this is. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, because I have packed a whole sheep in my camp all the way back from there, and it's brutal it's a chore oh yeah no i've you know i've since had both feet fully bleeding <laughs> wrapped in <laughs> tape crap just brutalizing like having to like throw my feet out in front of me at like one o'clock in the morning just hurting, like hurting go, so bad go you, 10 you yards stop and sit. because you yeah. won't you won't be getting back oh, up oh god brutal so i do know how i can now fully appreciate somebody giving me a ride in their airplane right to where i need to go and putting my slippers on and hanging out next to a fire and just eating all the extra food that i brought with me hanging out (laughs) (laughs) yep anyway well we kind of got got sidetracked a little bit on sheep hunting which is easy to do that tends to be how it how it usually works we'll go go one direction and start talking sheep hunting and before you know it we're we're off in the weeds pretty good. Yeah. But um Yeah, it's uh it's just interesting to me all the people I've gotten to know up here and meet that and that might be kind of the theme of this episode is the is transplants cuz so many people that are here were not born here. Um there's and there's a lot of people that man it's always been their dream to come up here. Yeah. And you just have to do it if you want to do it you got to do it i tell people friends of mine all the time they're like oh man i want to come up there so bad i'm like come up i have a house just come stay at my house you know do whatever you want even if i'm not there go stay at my house hang out do whatever you want it's like all you got to do is start driving or get in a plane yeah it's just that easy yep you can drive here it's weird it's a weird after living up here you know i did my first drive that i can remember i think we you know we lived up here a little bit when i was real little but driving from the states up here it's after you've flown back and forth it's like you're transporting between totally different worlds yeah you know you get off the plane and you're there but driving, it's like, yeah, you can't, you can actually drive up here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's to something else too. In the winter, when you've gone somewhere and it's nice and warm, and you get back here and it's like forty below at the airport, and you step out of the air, yeah. out of the it, airport, it just you take sucks that the air right out of you. <laughs> you start to breathe in, and you start coughing because it's so cold. <laughs> yeah, no, and there's plenty of people that are like, you gotta be out of your mind to live somewhere like that, and. 
I mean, really, it's if you can handle a little bit of dark for a little while, we're we're nearly caught back up to most places as yeah. far as light. You know, there's really only a couple of months. You know, that yeah. it's you know beginning of December to the end of January that it's just it's dark and it's a lot of time it's pretty cold then. Which this year we it was mellow. Oh yeah, this this winter's just, been pretty. Yeah. Well, it's funny because then it drops down to twenty below and everybody's complaining. It's like, yeah. are, oh, it's were you cold. were you here last year or the year yeah. before? Right. <laughs> you know, you get a nice winter and then, yeah. You know, whereas it's at least in my experience, not uncommon to get a three week stretch of fifty below. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But I don't know. I wonder. I wonder if you looked into it what the numbers would be in comparison like people that are actually born here in alaska or people that have come up here and what you find is that a lot of the transplants as you're calling them are people that are in the army or the air force yeah and that's there's there is a lot of a of a of military presence up here and and a lot of people that end up just staying they get and they end up getting shipped up here for a couple of years and falling in love with the place yep. and when they're done with their time in the service, end yep. up moving back up here. Yep, that and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in the military will try and get stationed up here because they want to live here, and then they stay. Yeah, um, which remind reminds me, in, in a kind of a side note, a lot of the, it's funny, and I see this on any of my my articles that are about you know planning your hunt up here, kind of as a non-resident guide for you know making if you want to come hunt up here you can do it and here's how um i mean they got page rating through the department of fishing game they got special pages that you can go to that's like gear breakdowns and all that kind of stuff but one you know it's just funny the attitude one guy in particular but and kind of before to backtrack before that like there's I don't know, a lot of people, and I've been susceptible to it, too. It's like, oh, these GIs running everywhere during hunting season. You know, I mean, you get used to a certain amount of solitude and when you're hunting, and anytime you see anybody else, it's it's a little bit of an annoyance, but uh, it is what it is. But what's fun, there's one guy in particular, every one of my, every time Outdoor Life, you know, shares one of those articles, he, Oh, no vacancy, you know, stay home and all this stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, so you go digging and guy came up here with the military and I'm just thinking, I'm like, I bet you really appreciated that (laughs) attitude towards you when When you you were the guy. When you first came up here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. You know, and then again, in in looking at it the same way, is I have a really good friend, Temple, that I met. I thought I was out in the middle of nowhere, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go we go down here in a boat and set up and then i found this slough and i was like i'm gonna go out there early in the morning before it gets light i'll hike out there and i'll start calling right as it gets light for moose for moose yeah. yeah and i was like oh this is gonna be just perfect so i get out there and i call for a little while and i kind of cruise around the slough and i'm sitting there and i'm looking you can see a long ways down the slough which was a lot of times in the interior here you can't see very far yeah and i could see a long ways and i kept creeping around the corner of this slough and like glassing towards the other end of it and as i come around there's a guy sitting at the other end of the (laughs) slough facing back towards the river i'm like you gotta be kidding me 
I come all the way out down here, and then I go hiking way back in here, and here's some guy. So I was like, well, at this point in time, I might as well go down there and meet the guy, and you know, I keep I I talk with him almost every day. Yeah, and, you know, we text back and forth, and he we you know he asked me for input. I talk with him about hunting and trapping and stuff all the time. You know, yeah, you know, he gives me tons of in, insight on stuff that I'm doing, and just ended up being super cool person that i met in one of those circumstances that i was at first pissed yeah you know somebody's got my you know got yeah. somebody's in my spot kind of thing yeah you know and it ends up being somebody that i'll know for the rest of my life yeah <clears throat> yeah it's funny you know i don't know people so just there's those just, guys with the airplane in the brooks range oh you yeah know? they're like start introducing ourselves and he's like yeah I know you from Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Uh, I'm fully anti-Facebook. So I'm always yeah. like, you Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that's Frank. But still, you know, to for you guys to all, like, you know, kind of know each other to start with, it's, you know, it's, that's cool. Yeah, well, and everyone's out there for the same reasons. No one, you know... I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because the, there's a few hunts that I avoid, like the plague up here where it's just crawling with people and just buffoonery to the net to the max um but generally you get out there like everyone's out there for the same reason and no one wants you know no one wants to step on your toes and they you know everyone wants to be left to their own devices so you know a lot of times you know in the past bump into people and hey we'll just do a little have a little coordinating session and yeah just all right well you know we're going to go this way if you guys want to go that way or whatever, you know, you can work that stuff out. Yeah, exactly. And that's normally when you do run into people and you're out, you know, you're a ways out in the middle of nowhere, there's room for that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, there's room to be like, you know, well, this was my plan, but if that was your plan too, you know, it's give or take. I'll I'll go over here this time. And, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go up here for t- this hunt today or whatever the deal may be. There's definitely plenty of space i just can't wrap my mind around the the whole pumpkin patch hunting you know down in a lot of states where it's oh yeah you know it's like why i to this day have not gone down and fished the russian river on the kenai a lot oh, of them yeah where, where it's just short combat, combat fishing combat stuff. it's not when for I me. first moved up here we went down there just because everybody's like oh yeah there's tons of fish and people everywhere so we drove down there just because i was like i want to check it out you know it's no joke it's literally people shoulder to shoulder everybody's tangled up and somebody gets a fish on it's like dude's all yells and y'all get your lines in and freaking out and you know it's like gosh there's so many rivers and so many places to go and of course working at that lodge i got super spoiled with the whole fishing thing you know yeah well the few years i was going down there in the summer that's the only fish I used to fly fish for grayling all the time up here. You know, I, yeah. and I love fishing, but I go down there once a summer and be completely, totally burnt out. <laughs> like, all set with fishing. All set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ended up, you know, I took it to, I grew up loving, loving to fish and, and, um, my dad's a huge fisherman makes his own, you know, makes and sells fishing lures for striped bass and bluefish, tuna stuff. Um, and I 
I, you know, fully enjoy fishing. So when I went down there and all of a sudden they were like, oh, you know, you can, you can get your subsistence license. And I was like, well, what's that? And they're like, get on the fishing game, get your subsistence license. So I did. And next thing you know, I'm like stringing out gill nets, <laughs> ground lines down for halibut, you know, catching them 30, 30 at a whack on one tide change. And it's like, oh yeah, we're taking this to a whole new level. <laughs> we don't need fishing rods anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of really got me. I was like, wow, this is like, you're a lot of stuff up here. That's something that's different about up here is, um, a lot of stuff is time susceptible. Like people have a family, they have a freezer that needs to be full. They need to get a moose. They need to get their halibut. They need to get their firewood done. Mm -hmm. They need to get their salmon. They need the, this and that and the other thing. And all this stuff falls into time constraints with the, the short summers that we have up here. And, you know, yeah. and the short fall and the short hunting season in the fall for the resident. You know, it's like two weeks for, to, to get your moose kind of yeah. thing. Um, and a lot of these people, granted, there is a lot of people that hunting, it's a hobby and that's what they do. But there's a lot of people that it's not a hobby. It's just another one of the jobs throughout the year yep. that needs to be taken care of so that my family can eat this winter. Yeah. You know? And it's one of those things that it's like, that was my first introduction to like, we're not just going to go out and catch some fish and let them go. It's like, everything gets killed. Everything's going in the freezer. And let's make this faster by using gill nets if we can and ground lines for halibut and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. There's still a lot of, you know, and like a lot of the, the native villages and whatnot on the Yukon especially. Yeah. Man, like that's, yeah, I mean, they do have access to, to a lot of, you know, quote unquote modern food source. You know, they, they get food shipped in and stuff, yeah. but a lot of them, that's a huge yeah, you know whether it's their moose or a lot or, of those people fish. have dogs too. You know, not only are you trying to get fish for yourselves, but most people that are on rivers in any of these villages feed their dogs salmon. Yeah, you know, dog salmon. Yeah, that's fall time. That's like part of the program is just like I was talking about before. You know, you need your firewood, you need yep. your moose, you also need all the dog salmon you can get to feed your whole team of dogs. That's going to transport you around on your trap line in the winter. Yep. And I think, I think for me, you know, the, I don't know, there, there's not really an off season up here. You know, you're either hunting or fishing or trapping or whatever. And for me, it's kind of a mix of lifestyle necessity and recreation. Yeah. I mean, I hunt and do that stuff because it's in my DNA and that's like oh, who yeah. I am and do it. But at the same time, you know, got a free, got a bull moose this fall and that's what we're going to be eating until next fall you yeah. know and that's how a lot of a lot of people go about it when you know we're not talking 100 pounds of meat or whatever you get off a of whitetail I, I don't know yeah but uh you know you get a decent sized bull moose and you've got several hundred pounds of meat right. enough for you to to last you know depending on the size of your family to last you through the winter and you know people up here generally are not with sheep. Sheep are the exception. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, moose meat, like you can, well, I had some left over that was, we were able to give to, you know, yeah. to make some room in the freezer, able, was able to give away quite mm. a bit of, of leftover meat from last year. Yeah. Because you never know when you're going to have a dry year, but when, you, when you've got plenty, you know, it. Helps to share. It's, it's always nice to be able to give people that don't, you know, have the access to be able to go out and hunt. 
yeah. be able to set them up with a bunch of moose meat. I know that where that moose meat went to, those people were really happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad because, you know, it's not going to go to waste, but uh, it's nice when you can you can help people out and, you know, with a little bit of the excess, living off the, the cream of the land, basically, or the fat of the land. Yeah. It's, um, it is really nice. It's nice to be able to, you know go home and look into my freezer and be like, ah, what am I going to have? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. haven't bought beef. I can't remember the last time I bought beef. No. If I go to the turtle club. Yeah. That's about- I'll get prime rib, but other than that, like I haven't bought every once in a while I'll buy chicken, but the last time that I ate bird, I shot ptarmigan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's So it's like... Well, and we're on a high cycle, getting up to the high cycle now. So, you know, a guy, if you got after it, you could put a hundred birds in the freezer, no problem. It never ends. That's what's cool. Like, down south, it's hunting season. It's like this season, it's that season. Oh, fishing season hasn't started yet. And up here, it's it's always fishing season. Never really stopped. It's always hunting season. There's always something to hunt, no matter what time of year it is, or trap, or, you know. Yeah. Bear season never ends, right? I mean, obviously they den up, but the season never ends. Yeah, you can hunt black bears in the interior when anytime you want. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're gonna try to keep these to about an hour, so uh, we'll probably wrap this one up. But thanks, Frank, for being on. And uh, I would say, if you want to talk, if you want to get in touch with Frank, um, where would they get in touch with you? But he doesn't want to talk to you. So. <laughs> That sounds so awfully rude. <laughs> yeah, you won't, but seriously. You won't find me on Instagram. You nope. won't find me on Facebook, though. If you could find my house, you come knock on my door. I'll talk your ear off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, thanks, Frank, for coming on. And uh, Yeah, man, no problem. It's and good Frank will definitely be a, a pretty frequent frequent commentator on the, on the podcast here. So, all right, we'll take with that. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.